I'm Chanae Ogumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Blue Wire. Three on the way! Yes! Paul George nails it! For the win! All right, Dunks and Discourse, we are back after like so many technical difficulties. Um, Jabari's going through some personal stuff in, in his life, so he's going to be taking a hiatus for like a week or two here. Um, my computer is on the fritz. I'm like down a computer. I'm recording this on pretty much like a rock in a cave, but uh, we, we will see how it goes. My guy Varun, our producer, hopping in, stepping up for us. Varun, how you doing, brother? What's up, everyone? I am... Ready for the weekend. I can see it. I have one class tomorrow, and then I'm done. I'm done. I can see it. It's ahead of me. I, too, am nice. ready for the weekend. I got to teach seven classes tomorrow, and then <laughs> and then I'm ready for the weekend as well. Um, man. man, My college schedule is so nice because on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I just have one class at t- from two to three, and then I'm done. Tuesdays and Thursdays are bad, but that's okay. I always got that, man. When I switched to, like, when I did my after-grad program for education, um... They, you didn't get to pick any of your classes. They just threw you in the cohort. What you got is what you got. Okay. So I remember I had like one that was like 9 to 10.30 on Tuesday. And, and the campus was like a good hour from my house. So you were like a good ways away to go back. And then I had another class from like 2 to 4. So it was like this crazy long time. Like you have four hours in between classes. And it's like, do you want to go home for two hours to drive an <laughs> extra three hours that day? Or... I had a whole bunch. I had one class. It was like the only class I had on like Wednesday nights, one semester. Didn't have anything else on Wednesday, but like from 6 to 9.30 was this guy's lecture because he had some sort of other job as a superintendent. That was the only time he could do it. Uh, I, I don't miss that per se about college. Yeah, it's been, you know, it's my first semester. So it's been so weird because I'm staying home at least for now and then I'm hoping to go in for the spring. It's all Zoom. It's just, you know, it's not like oh, college yeah. experience yet. I, you know, I, I, I know that I'm older than you. Like, I know that Jabari is older <laughs> than me, but then you say stuff like, this is my first semester of college, and I, I it, it like, it hits me harder than it hit me coming <laughs> in, man. First semester, that's crazy, man. And I, I feel bad for you guys. Uh, you know, my girl's um, stepsister is in the same situation where she was, like, super gung-ho, super excited to go to university. Um, she lived in a small town sort of just outside of Calgary, so didn't really have that big town feel. She was really, really excited to go, like, immerse herself in all of it. Like, join clubs. I laughed. I was like, oh, yeah, like, you want to go clubbing? She's like, no, like, I want to, like, join university clubs. <laughs> and, and she wanted to, like, she wanted to, like, do all of it and see all of it. And same thing, man. She's doing it all on Zoom. Like, co- coronavirus, absolutely the worst. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, know, did, it did. It did. What were we saying, Bruce? Sorry. I mean, like, it's not, it's obviously, like, sucks, but. You know, I just try not to think about it, to be honest. I'm hoping to go back for the spring if they give me housing, so hoping to live it up then. Yeah, man. I mean, hopefully things turn around. I, like, my principal talks about the idea that, like, coronavirus is like this blanket 
and it's always just kind of on your back and sometimes you forget it's there and it's light and other times it's like super heated super soaked just weighing you down and it, it has sort of been like that man like uh it really does feel like some days i totally forget that there's a pandemic and wearing a mask is normal and i don't even think about it over the course of a day and other days i just like fighting off the anxiety and depression like i hate this so man it's been and a roller coaster. with my my grandpa lives with us so i've been like extra vigilant about everything sure yeah and, and it's getting to the point where like i don't know where are you at at in the states right now uh, Northern Virginia, just like 30 minutes away from D.C. And are your numbers like soaring, stabilized, about the same? Like where are you at right I now? I think like where we're like where I'm at, it's okay. It's not too bad. But like, you know, the entire country, we had like 100,000 cases a day ago or something like that. It was oh, ridiculous. Wow. Yeah, like we were at like, I don't know, 800% more cases a day than we were, you know, in July. So mm-hmm. it's, it's spiked quite significantly here. To the point where, like, you're having discussions where, like, should we really have friends over for dinner? Should we not have mm-hmm. friends over for dinner? It's been, uh, I mean, again, I cannot believe it's been, like, seven, eight months of this. It's just, what a time. Um, yeah. Something else that feels like it's dragging. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the, the American election. Like, I'm telling my kids, like, my kids at school, like, we've been following it. We're watching the news segment. I'm prepping them. Like, they're young, right? They're grade 5, mm-hmm. 6, so 10, 11, 12. They don't really know a lot, right? They don't know a ton about American politics. So we were talking about, like, what are polls and, like, who is Biden, what are Democrats. Like, we were really just starting at the beginning. And the segment we're watching was talking about how, like, the polls were, like, so much more certain this year than they were, were in 2016. <laughs> and, like, everyone wants to talk about how, yeah, Hillary was ahead in the polls. But this is different because the margin was so great. And then, you know, the first night, it's looking like Trump's getting Trump's some wins he wasn't supposed to get. The initial count was staggering. That looked like it was all going to hell. You know, the last day in a bit, it looked like Biden's punching back. And even as I'm logging in to record this podcast, like, oh, well, Trump might actually pull out Arizona. And I cannot believe this whole situation, to be honest with you. It's, you know, I'm, I'm curious. I'm guessing we'll, like, talk a little bit more about it. But, like, being in Canada, how do you guys follow american politics well like the we is like very vague like I, I would assume man like when when hillary and uh w- was running to be the democratic candidate people thought like it was her trump a lot of people that somebody thought her trump was running to be president against ted cruz so oh wow <laughs> there was like some sometimes it's not as coherent as you might think but like i think there's been growing interest um where i'm at i'm in a very conservative part of canada um like an industry focused province mm-hmm. and the fear is that if biden gets in that he's gonna ex mm-hmm. any pipeline projects and the province is like heavily the province's economy is heavily and unfortunately like crucially linked to oil and a pipeline so a lot of albertans are actually rooting i wouldn't say they're like rooting for trump but they're rooting against biden Nobody wants to admit they're rooting for Trump, but they kind of are. I think that's right. I think that's where people are at. Interesting. Yeah, because I was looking. I think it was Barry Pachesky like posted this screenshot of a Canadian newspaper, and like nine out of the eleven headlines are just about the American election. And he was like, "Yo, if I had to hear this much about like Britain's elections, I'd go crazy. I don't know how you guys do it." Well, like Canada's such a small fish in the grand scheme, and like. As much as we, you know, we have this amazing country and, and all of these natural resources, we're so dependent on America as a trade partner that it, it, it's kind of like a soap opera for our lives, which 
I mean, I'm not trying to compare. I know that like the, the things that Americans have had to deal with uh, long beyond these last four years is is crazy. But in Canada, it is sometimes anxiety-inducing because you see Trump and you see the situation. You have back-to-back years where neither candidate inspires, you know, really any um, excitement whatsoever. And you feel like kind of like stuck and hopeless because we don't even have a vote in and who is going to essentially tax the hell out of us or deny us trade or shut down a pipeline. So, I mean, I think people are frustrated for sure. Yeah, it's been, I don't know, it's been exhausting. This entire week has just been draining physically, mentally in every single way. And, you know, it's just, it's it's a lot. I mean, I mean, like that that first night, like you were talking about how it looked like Trump was just going to cruise. And I was like, oh, my goodness. The exact same thing that happened four years ago is going to happen again. And it kind of did just because, like, the polls look like they were wrong in a very similar fashion that they were in 2016. And so that's something that, like, Nate Silver is going to have to reckon with at some point. But it, it, it was also set up in a way that was perfect to make Democrats and just, like, people who didn't want Trump to win to panic. Just because, yeah, the mail-in ballots were only going to come in later, as we're seeing now, and that wins are slow, slowly piling up. So initially, all you see are these huge leads, and states are getting called early. And, like, backup plans almost for Biden, like Florida or Texas, that kind of just go away. Democrats have—I mean, like, listen, even even if Biden wins, it looks like he's going to. Please, by the time this release, please don't let me be proved wrong. But um, <laughs> they got to do a little bit of reckoning in terms of, like, because they they, they're getting swamped in terms of the House and the Senate. So there, there's there's some soul searching that needs to go on right now, and, and you know what, man? Like I heard all of that after 2016 too. <laughs> and I like, I mean, the people listening to this podcast, are like, man, you haven't given us a pod in ten days, and you're going to talk about COVID, the election, <laughs> well, geopolitics. Um, but you know what? It, it's it's frustrating, and like I don't know, like were you a Bernie guy? Uh, basically more recently, yeah. Like, I, in 2016, like, I didn't know enough to even say anything. But, like, in the, like, this primary, I voted for Bernie. I, I very much, like, I, I, like, very sparsely do I talk about, like, my history working in politics. But I worked, you know, alongside uh, our left-leaning party in Canada for a few years. Uh-huh. And, and uh, it, it is incredibly hard when you start meeting some of the people who have held office for a lot of years to be inspired by and actually believe in, you know, said person, mm-hmm. um, because the nature of the job is compromise, compromise, compromise. I yeah. really felt like Bernie Sanders was at a place like financially where one money wasn't his priority. And two, like with his age and his, like, he, he truly felt to me, like whether you believed in him, didn't believe in him, liked him, didn't like him, that his legacy was the most important thing to him more so than, you know, backdoor dealing or, you know, uh, appearances or anything else. And I and I, I think he inspired a lot of hope in a lot of people, and you see that. I know people hate Bernie bros, and, and some of them do behave in disgusting ways, but, like, they chose a sock in Biden that no one is excited about. And once again, the platform was not Trump, and it just old and white, but not as not racist. Hopefully not as racist. And yeah. it was just, that is a shitty shitty thing to do and 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 you got to ask yourself why and it's because there's so much money tied into both parties and like the two-party system sucks your electoral college sucks but you know you and i aren't gonna fix this on this pod but like that's my bench sesh right there it's just yeah i mean I, i agree with a lot of what you said about biden especially i think he might get pushed a little bit further left than people expect but maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part 
But like, how's he going to do anything with the Senate now? Right. Yeah. I mean, the Senate. There's like a slim chance. There's two runoff elections that are going to happen in like January in Georgia. If the, the Democrat candidates win both, then they have the Senate, and then you maybe actually do stuff. If not, maybe you don't, and it's just four years of gridlock, and then 2024 happens, and we'll see then. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, no, I, I, I definitely understand the the whole it, – it's very much the never-meet-your-heroes thing, just because, like you said, the nature of the job is such where even if you have high-minded ideals coming in, you get in there, and it's a totally different ballgame than you expect. I mean, you kind of saw it with – I mean, I was too young to understand it at the time, but looking back, you kind of see it with Obama, right? He came in very much as – very progressive and then he kind of shifted to the center a little bit just because of the nature of the position and the nature of just having to actually do stuff it's it's really weird I, we're gonna switch to like basketball talk in a second please don't try off the podcast folks <laughs> but <laughs> there was like a poll that went around on fox news and it was talking about these really left-leaning policies right so uh, increased government spending on green energy 37 percent strongly favor 33 percent somewhat favor Concerned about the effects of, of effects of chi- climate change, vary forty six percent. Government run healthcare plan thirty nine percent strongly favored, thirty three percent somewhat favor. And then illegal immigrants to the U S. pathway to citizenship seventy two percent favorite. It's really weird because these progressive ideas seem to have support behind them. I mean, that's on Fox News, which is you know obviously conser- a conservative station, right? And you see like those ideas and have backing behind them but when you put a face behind them it doesn't work i mean you saw it in florida where biden lost and then they passed a 15 dollars minimum wage biden ran on a 15 dollars minimum wage he talked about it not super extensively but a decent amount i don't know what the disconnect is maybe it's just something in the messaging but there's something whether it's the lack of good messaging whether it's just the vestiges of mccarthyism that are still stuck in this country where we're so against socialism that in any form or fashion that we're not willing to even look at government-run programs. But there's a really strange disconnect that I'm not really – I don't think anyone's able to understand just yet. Oh, I don't I, I don't know about that. And, and like seriously, last word on this because we got to get the sports and movies. But I feel like the disconnect isn't that people can't understand. It's that there's a, like – you look at 70 million votes for Trump, there's a very large percentage of America that has no interest in change. Like, it's not that they can't understand, it's that they just have no interest in wanting to understand. Like, you, you can't make people come to the table, and it's it's been very apparent, like, the last 10, 12 years, that, like, people just aren't going to come to the table. Like, pe- people are going to die in their beliefs, and that's, I mean... I don't, I don't even want to say that's an indictment, but that's just, like, I think the reality of the situation. And I very much felt that, like, when I was doing polling and when I was on, like, the ground doing door knocking. Like, it didn't imag- it didn't really even matter who was talking to them, if the representative there was there or not, or what stats you could provide. People, you know, believe something, they come up believing it, it's enforced by the people around them, and shaking them out of that is, like, nearly impossible. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it's it's a lot and being a young person I mean like I my, last thing I promise but my like I, I became like politically aware in 2016 so the only thing I've ever known is Trump so it's going to be very interesting to see what the rest is just what's what else is there yeah I mean yeah I mean I, I could go all, all day on this we won't <laughs> even though sports had a break your business didn't you have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever Indeed is here to help Indeed.com 
is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you to the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to help make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you that get you to that important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million other businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means you more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with 70 with a free $75 credit at indeed.com/bluewire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to indeed.com/bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team and player and coach props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anyone else. You can get in on their season open bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today. Online today, excuse me, and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all one word. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, so NBA. Uh, the, the players were, were, were trying to stand tall. They were, they, were, they, were, they were really, you know, holding, holding the guns out and they were, you know, playing a, a dangerous game of chicken. Acting like you know they w- they would rip it up, fight the CBA, um, deny the December twenty second start. There's no way that's going to happen, man. Like there's there's just no way. As upset as Jared Dudley is, as much as the Lakers want more rest, there are so many NBA players that haven't played in months, and guys aren't going to sacrifice millions and millions of dollars over a month. It's just it's not going to happen. So December twenty second, we're probably getting basketball back. What are you looking forward to most with next season? I'm kind of looking forward to Golden State and L.A. just battling out for the West. You have the old kings of the West versus—I mean, you have, like, the newcomers to the West in terms of, like, Silicon Valley, tech money in terms of the Warriors, and then you have the Lakers, which are the established blue buds, not of just the Western Conference, but the entire NBA. These are two forces going against each other. You got—again, you have LeBron and Curry are going against each other. I'm really interested to see what the Warriors do around— this their core of Curry, Thompson, and Green, just because you look back on those title teams, you had really key pieces like Iguodala, like Harrison Barnes, like Sean Livingston. You don't have that right now. I mean, no one's relying on Jordan Poole. They have some money to spend with a mid-level exception, taxpayer exception, so maybe they can pull out a nice wing. They have that number two pick as well to package for something, so that's where I'm most interested just in terms of what happens in that Warriors-Lakers dynamic. Does anybody want that second pick, that first pick? Like, who who wants that pick? That how many how many trade rumors have you seen with them sending out the pick for like Giannis or Beal or whoever? But how many have you seen like X could really want to trade up to two in this draft? I haven't seen any of those this year. Oh yeah, you're not getting Beal or I mean the the Wizards straight up said 
they're no inclination to trade Beal for the first or second pick this year, right? They don't, I mean, this draft is not a good draft, and so no team's going to be wanting to move up to two to give up a star player. But I I think a guy like an Aaron Gordon type, a player around that caliber could be something that they could get for that number two pick if Orlando looks for a total rebuild. And so you're not getting a star. You're not getting Giannis. You're not getting anything like that. But if you make a package with that number two pick, maybe with Minnesota's pick next year, or, I mean, you could get some kind of an improvement. And I think, you know, with the advanced ages of Curry, Thompson, and Green, you have to go all in right now. Yeah, I think you do too. Um, this year for me is like, what like Brooklyn is the team I think I'm most interested in. But also there's just a lot of guys this year where, you know, Paul George coming off a bad playoff run, how's he going to bounce back? Kevin Durant on the Achilles, Kyrie from injury, John Wall, you know, Tweeting up a storm, saying he's better than ever. Did you um, see? Did you see the? Did you see the video of Wall during the interview playing spades? No, I didn't. You didn't see this. So he's on a. I think it was a radio interview with two guys at ESPN, and you can see like during the interview he's holding cards, and at one point during the interview they ask him a question. He's very clearly playing spades. And he just totally misses the question. He's like, yeah, can you repeat that? And it was, I mean, I'm surprised you haven't seen it. It was going all around. And, you know, some people are like, oh, man, this is the funniest thing ever. Some people are like, man, that looks really irresponsible. It doesn't look good for a guy that's supposed to be coming back and being a leader. It, he, I mean, John Wall is a character. I love John Wall. I am, I will always be here for John Wall. Yeah, I mean, I, know, I, I could care less. I, I, I've cared more about Wizards playing different card games on planes than I've cared about. Uh, <laughs> John Wall space, but like, I just want to know like if he actually has it, like, it, because I think I think very much all of the the Wizards like reluctance to really talk Beal deals is like, if Wall can be an All Star point guard again, then maybe we don't have to just really kick this in. But if if Wall comes back and he doesn't have it, then we do got to move Beal, and I I think that's that's the hedge, and that's what they've been waiting on is is do we have our All Star backcourt or not? Because if we don't. This isn't a team that's going to go anywhere. But if we do, like, hold on, maybe we can make some moves. And I, and I kind of think they're stuck in that that realm. But, like, let's go through let's go through Zach Lowe's um, offseason preview. Because Give me one second to quickly talk about, like, the Wizards just to add on that thing. It's really interesting because I think I, I agree with you that's what they're going to do because I think they're pretty high on Wall coming back. They're also high on Ruiz in the second season. So I think it's very much a situation where 20 games into the season, if they're – seven and 13 they might look to trade Beal but if they if Wall comes back because the thing is even with Wall having to recover from the Achilles the reason that there's some hope for optimism is he was dealing with uh, bone spurs in his ankle as well so no now he's pain-free apparently so maybe you know it's a little bit of wishful thinking but he you you never know and so I think it's I think it's worth a shot before you trade Beal because he is under contract for another year yeah and I I mean we'll come back to Beal come back to Beal um so, so obviously Giannis is where everyone's fixated on, right? And everyone's scared to ruin their cap situation. They want to know what he's going to do. Everyone is, is just parroting. Like, one of my problems with Zach Lowe is that, like, I think he's just a guy who likes to talk scenarios as much as the rest of us. And people run with his stuff all the time. And it just, he's not always right, man. And this whole, like, people within the Bucks organization remain very confident that Giannis will sign a five-year Supermax. Like, yeah, maybe he will. That was always the most likely scenario. But, like, of course people within the Bucks are going to say that, man. Like, 
like what do you like Zach Lowe's gonna cozy up to whatever the assistant scout over a beer and he's gonna be like the assistant scout's gonna be like shit Zach it's dire man like we think he's already talking to Miami him and Luca have been having drinks in Europe like no man come on like they're obviously gonna be like yeah we're gonna, he he's a he's a buck for life we're gonna lock him up because they have to say that they don't want to lose any more leverage if they if it does go the other way. Yeah, I think, I mean, Lowe himself says later that he thinks he's betting against him signing the Supermax. I don't know what Giannis is going to do. I don't think anyone does. I think it's really going to depend on what the Bucks do this season. I think he genuinely does like being in Milwaukee, but if they don't show any signs of progressing further in the playoffs, he's going to he's gonna want out, and, like, rightfully so. I well, agree with you that— is it is it rightfully so? Like, I mean, like, rightfully so in that he can do whatever he wants. You're going to be a free agent, but, like— the Bucks have been like a very good team the last two years, and a big part of them not going further is the fact that like when they get in the half court, Giannis can't do it. So like, yeah, I mean part is, of is it that is Bucks? that part of it's that, but part of it's also Budenholzer being just kind of yeah. dumb in terms of rotations. It's them not wanting to spend into the tax sure. with Brongdon. It's I mean if they don't make like substantial moves this year and like actually make a move for a, if they come back with the same team next year. I would not be like that. That shows a commitment that you're, that shows a lack of commitment to actually chasing a title. Yeah, well, I mean, the deal that, or you know, he mentions Bogdan Bogdanovich um, from the Kings and potentially taking on Harrison Barnes. Like uh, this is this is the disconnect because those two guys in that um, in that Milwaukee rotation would be great. Like I know Harrison Barnes is the butt of a lot of jokes, but like he can d up, he can shoot a little bit. He can handle a little bit. He can play up and down a little bit. Like, he's a very good rotation player. He's overpaid for what he does. But, like, Harrison Barnes is still quite a good rotation player. And, like, Bogdan Bogdanovich can play one or two. He can shoot the lights out. Like, that would be – those would be two great ads for that team. And people were like, are you kidding me? Bogdan Bogdanovich, Harry B. Like, all the stuff on Twitter. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, those would be two two really strong ads depending on what Milwaukee gave up in that deal. I'm kind of, yeah, I agree. I think that those are two guys. You, you just need more shooting and a little bit more creation. I'm kind of surprised Lowe says there hasn't been any talks or traction on a deal sending Paul to uh, Chris Paul from the Thunder to the Bucks. I feel like that's probably, I mean, that he's the best player available in terms of the trade market, but I feel like that's the best move that they can make in terms, I mean, it's a great fit too, just in terms of late game when you have those half-court issues. Chris Paul, like, catapults you to a better offense automatically. The the problem with Paul is one well there's I I see three hurdles here one his money long term especially if they're not one hundred percent on Jonas thing right they should still do it like you said you got to make it happen if you can make it happen but two the fact that he is best in the half court and slowing things down and Jonas is not and like I know that if you're Bud and you you're already looking at how you stagger them and you let Giannis do everything, and Paul's a secondary piece, and then he, you let him close. So in theory, I think it could work, but there's you know, there's potential for some issues there. And then three men, like, what is, uh, what is OKC getting from Milwaukee out of this? Um, because they're, they're, I think Paul has increased his value enough where a team like the Knicks, or a, a team, I don't know who else, but like might actually give you some things of value to put some fans in the... Uh, stands, which might not be true, but you know what I mean, like to drum up some interest in the franchise and maybe make a playoff run, right, because right. he's probably good enough to do that. And I don't, you know, a year ago it was like 
Paul could just go. And now I think Paul has enough value where I, I don't think a Milwaukee's 27th projected pick is going to get it done. It'll probably take more. I mean, I don't get yeah, the package there is a little bit dicey in terms. Of, I just don't know. You'd probably have to give up DiVincenzo, I'm guessing, at the very minimum. And to make Let's, salary work, like what? Bled and Brook, probably? Yeah. You might, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but yeah, you probably, you need to give up a decent amount. I, but I think I think that's the kind of that's at least the kind of move. I think you need a creator, a, a guy because a, a guy who could score, just kind of lights. Like they, they're a team that I think could use a guy like Lou Williams. I'm not they're not getting Lou Williams to be clear. That's not what I'm saying. But just a player in that mode that's just kind of instant offense that can get you a couple of buckets because they struggled really badly offensively. And I think in the playoffs, having a guy that can get you just some tough buckets, just kind of scurrying around just a random bucket here and there would be really valuable for them. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think they could use a Lou Williams type, but not Lou, because I don't think Lou's that much of a positive Yeah, his defense anymore. is too bad at this point. And I, he's just so... In, like, the thing about a Lou for them is, like, when he's on, and he could, they, they need a closer, which is why I think Paul is so so interesting, because he could really close things. But, like... Bucks fans would hate Lou Williams because Lou Williams would go out there and do what Bud told him to do, which is like, go find us a shot in the half court in the final three minutes because no one else can do it. We need you to do it. And he would just take some junk 29-footer coming mm-hmm. off a screen out of control, and Bucks fans would be like, we have the fucking two-time MVP. Give him the ball. <laughs> and it, it would just be like a not – they would want him, but they wouldn't want him. It would be an unhappy situation. But they need to do something. To your point, they do need to do something because – you can't you can't run this back, man. Like Eric Bledsoe cannot be starting for this team next yep. year in the playoffs. And like he can he be part of the team if it works out, sure, but like Eric Bledsoe cannot be at the point of attack. You cannot have a non shooter at the point of attack in the NBA anymore. It's done. That era of basketball is done, it's forever done. It's I over. actually think you you were talking about Bogdanovich a little bit. I think the more I think about it, I kinda like him just because that's more shooting. He's not a great creator, right? I mean, obviously Paul's going to be a better creator, but he's good. I think he has some passing ability, and he can create a shot for himself. So that's and actually a guy, the more I think about it. Bogdanovich is nice. And, and, like, people on Twitter, like, you don't watch the Kings. Get out of here, man. You don't watch the Kings. <laughs> like, I've seen Bogdanovich internationally, and I've seen Bogdanovich when Fox is out, and that guy can pass the ball a little bit. Like... Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's an ace, he's not going to lead the league in assists or anything, but like if Bogdanovich started at point guard and got to run the offense, he would average six and a half to eight assists a game, and I feel pretty comfortable there. Like, I really do. I, I, and he's a good shooter. I think, like, right there, Bogdanovich over Bledsoe is a significant upgrade for them in playoff minutes. And then you think about the fact that, you know, like, who were the Bucks playing at 3-4? And if you do want to make Giannis go to the 5, like, Harry B is a really good fit next to him at that 4 slot. So, yeah, stretch four. He's a I, good, pretty good defender, too. You know what? The, the other name that, that Lowe mentions is Oladipo, and I kind of mentioned Wall and Durant Kyrie. Oladipo is a guy where, like, I could not sing his praises high enough two years ago. And being all NBA and all defense, I think this look, I looked it up. There's only, like, three guys who had ever done it at, at his age. Like, it, it was a hell of a season. But I just don't know if he's that guy, and all of these teams that are into Oladipo, like, He's expiring. You're going to give up some chips for him. I don't know if he has it. He's only ever had one season where he plays at that level. I'm not saying he can't do it, but Oladipo is like a guy where I, re- I really like to have no idea how to feel about him coming in. 
anyway. Yeah, that's the ultimate dice roll. And I think if you're Milwaukee, you can't be taking dice rolls at this point, right? You kind of need a sure thing at this point because if you go for Oladipo and he just he's just not the same guy anymore, that's it. Giannis is gone, right? And then you're left with... I mean, in that situation, at least he's an expiring contract. So you just totally hit the reset button at that point. But you, you need, to this point, go all in for a move that's just like almost as close to a surefire thing as there is. The thing with Depot is he's not a shooter either. Yep. And like, I'm not even sure, like if he's the guy that I saw in the playoffs last year, which I mean is obviously not fair because he was banged up and wasn't all the way back. But like, he's not even a better defender than Eric Bledsoe. So you bring in Depot, he touches the ball even more. He's not defending at the same level and he's shooting like junk, just like Bled. It's just, it's not an upgrade. And I know some other teams have been linked to him. Like Dallas has been linked to him. Miami's been linked to him. Again, I'm like, I'm just iffy. Like, well, how much are you giving up? Uh, like, being a Dallas fan, like, all these Buddy Heald, uh, Victor Oladipo for Tim Hardaway Jr. plus picks, like, were either of those guys significantly better than Tim Hardaway Jr. last year? No. Like, I I don't know if that's a clear upgrade unless unless you're sure you're getting Victor Oladipo two years ago, in which case, yeah, it'd be great, but I don't know. I don't know about that guy. Also, if you're Dallas, I think you really, I think you really want to keep your salary situation just totally clear for next year when you have the chance at Giannis. And I, I know that Oladipo is going to be expiring, so that works. But just in terms of other moves they might make, I don't think you want to take on any no. kind of big salary at this point. Dallas and Miami, I, I, I would bet, I was looking for futures. It's like Dallas or Miami, if Milwaukee doesn't sign that Supermax, uh, Giannis will be in Dallas or Miami if he doesn't sign that Supermax. I feel pretty Not Toronto? No, I don't think so. Like, hmm. I know that people have really talked up the Messiah connection, but, like, uh, you, you're losing money in Canada. Pascal and OG and him kind of all play the same position. I just, I don't think that that's as real as people want it to be. I don't think they're at all interested in the Warriors package of Wiggins and picks. Um, I think if he leaves, he's going to Miami to live the life and be part of that culture, or he's going to hook up with Luca because he sees, you know, not three, not four, not five, um, with him, Luca and KP. So I don't know, man. I think, I think if he doesn't sign, it's between those two teams, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. We might never get yeah. to find out. I don't see Golden State. Their package just isn't anywhere near good enough. No, I mean, people are so, so ridiculous. I mean, the um, people, I should say that the Bay media has been like, so re- like nobody wants that pick, man. Like we, I, I've asked, I've asked around, like, what about Marcus Smart for number two? People were like, ah, I think I'd rather have Marcus Smart. Like, they're, like so so. how do you get from, like, that pick can't net Marcus Smart to, like, hey, this pick in Wiggins' salary, which you don't really want in the books, for Giannis. It's just not happening, man. It's, it's not. So, um, like, that whole team, too. Like, they could be great next year. They could not be great next Like, Curry being 33 still blows my mind. It really does. Like, the other day, he's going to be 33 in, like, two months. The only guards who have ever won MVP at 33 or more are Nash, uh, Nash Magic, and, and MJ. And there's only been, like, four players ever who won at 33 or over. So I, I just, like, I don't think Curry's going to be – I think Curry's peak has happened. Like, I, not like I think he's going to fall off massively. I think he's going to be, like, a superstar in the league. But, like, I don't think Curry's reaching unanimous MVP levels. You know, I don't know what Clay's going to look like. Draymond Green, I have zero faith in him getting back to the guy he was. So yeah, they gotta make some moves. Like to your point earlier, like they gotta do some things to assure me that, you know, they're gonna be a contender. Yeah, Curry is really interesting. Curry and Thompson to a lesser extent, but 
his game is so predicated on skill that I think he can be a guy that ages really well if he stays healthy. And that's that's the biggest thing with him, right? Last year, I think the broken hand is kind of like a fluke injury. But if we start seeing some you know, lower leg issues pop up again, that's where you start getting really nervous about Curry. But because I think his game is one that can age really well. Thompson a little bit less so just because his defense is going to suffer. But the shooting shooting is something that ages really well. And I think that as long as Curry stays healthy, he should be able to be relatively stable as at least a decent bench option as a scorer, even when he's a little bit older. I wonder, too, um, you know, Jabari and I talked about this a couple weeks back. But, like, Goran Dragic might be the name that could actually swing some things if he chose to take less and go somewhere else. Like, it's been pretty much teed up for months here that, like, Miami was going to offer him a boat on a one-year deal. So they didn't they didn't mess up things with the Giannis pitch, but at the same time, like, took care of him. But, you know, like, the players are looking at a pay cut. You know, the COVID is throwing a wrench in things. Like, the next free agency class is so much more stacked. Like, if there was a team, a competitive team, that could throw him a three- or four-year deal, I don't know. Like, I, I think Drogic is, is still a player who could go if a team needed that point guard play. Like, I, I think Drogic in Milwaukee, for example, would be great. Drogic with the Clippers would be great. And I, I, I obviously, Miami has the inside track, but he, he's he's the kind of the interesting free agent this year who I think could do something along with Gallinari. Gallinari is another guy. Like, I think he's... He might be the best. Is he the best option available now? I think, at least in the free agent market, I think he might be the most fair unless contender. A, unless AD opts out, it's Drogic or Gallinari. But it, it's kind of understood that AD's staying, right? Like, that's not... I don't think that like, there's anyone seriously thinking it's, that he's... It's minus 10,000 for him to leave. Or yeah, for, so. yeah, minus 10,000 for him to stay, sorry. Yeah, so, I mean, Gallinari is... I mean, he spaces the floor well. For him, he's another guy with the question is just health, Right. I think he stayed pretty healthy last year, but, you know, if he stays healthy, he's a pretty, he's an okay defender, but offensively, he could shoot really well. He can play the three or the four, mostly the four, and he's a guy that can kind of put the ball on the floor a little bit and create some. So I think he's he's a guy that could be covered. Where, where would you like to see Gallinari go? Um, I was laughing about, like, Dallas being the front runner on him in Vegas right now because I've heard nothing about Gallinari to Dallas, but yeah, I think they just connected, like, the white dots and... <laughs> they're, they're gonna make that work, uh, but on, honestly, like what I didn't even think about it. But like Gallinari would be really cool next to KP as the four or five. Um, I think in Miami he'd be a really good fit. Like instead of Jake Crowder, you have Daniello Gallinari out there. That's that's pretty big. I, I again, he's a guy. He can play three or four. He shoots the hell out of the ball. He plays some defense and. Like I don't think there's anywhere in today's NBA where you have a guy who's six ten who can play two division, uh, two positions and shoot doesn't fit. Like he fits everywhere, wherever you want to play him, he'll work. Yeah. If if he went to the Lakers, he would instantly be the Lakers' third best player. Yeah, that's another big thing because the Lakers. Everyone was talking about this. They can become better than the team they were at last year. And I think they're going to have to just because I think the league's going to be a little bit better than it was this year. That's not me saying there's an asterisk or anything like that, please. Uh, but, like, I think the league is going to be better just because, you know, you have KD coming back, you have the Warriors coming back. There's going to be some stiffer competition, and they can get better. They have a little bit of space that they can use. I don't know what they're going to do, but I am kind of interested to see. Maybe they go for a Gallinari-type uh, player, but I think they need more help in terms of guard play. They do, but, like, depending on who wants to go to them for how long. How long. and But, like, I, you know, the minutes that you were giving Kyle Kuzma, Marcus Morris, go to Daniel Gallinari, that's... 
Man, that's a big deal. <laughs> the minutes that you were giving to JaVal McGee, <laughs> Daniel going, all right? Um, Rudy Gobert is another name that, that Lowe threw out in his, his trade sheet. And he threw out Dallas. There's no way, man. No. Like, there, I mean, what if they no. strike out on Giannis? It, it just doesn't make sense, man. Like, you're not going to p- play Gobert and Porzingis at 7-3-7. You're not going to play a 7-3-7-1 front court in today's NBA 30-plus yeah. minutes a night in the playoffs. It's just not... It's not feasible unless, like, for the only way that deal happens is if Rudy Gobert secretly loves Mark Cuban and they have some sort of a discount extension lined up because it just doesn't make the Mavs significantly better. Like they can't, they can't make that work. It's not feasible. So I, I don't know. I, I don't think Dallas. He threw out Boston with Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, and picks. I don't think I'd want to do that if I was Boston. Oh, if you were Boston, you wouldn't do that. I was thinking I wouldn't do that if I was Utah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Utah will either, but, like, I think Marcus Smart is the soul of that team. I think you saw in this playoff run that he has, like, some Lowry-esque ability to him. Like, he's a leader. He busts his butt at both ends. His shooting has stabilized a little bit. It's still not great, but, like, I think Marcus Smart is a is a Celtic for as long as he wants to be. And I think, again, like, a guy that can defend three perimeter uh, positions is more valuable than a big come the playoffs. So I... I don't know if I'm doing it if it's Boston. I think Utah's just going to – they're going to suck it up and they're going to pay him all the money. I think they're going to suck it up and they're going to pay him all the money because they're not going to get the return that they're hoping for for an all-defense center. And it's frustrating, but, again, I think that's today's NBA. I just don't think there's the market for centers that people want them to have. Is he – he's going to get a Supermax, right? I mean, if, if he resides with them, it's going to be for the Supermax or no? I think that's what that, that's what he wants. Like That's what they're mm-hmm. hoping for. Um and like Utah doesn't want to pay him that, but like they're good. like they're probably gonna have to because he's not gonna take less. They don't want to let him walk, and I don't think like I'm sure they're you know sneakily making calls, but I just don't think anyone's offering them a return that they can sell to themselves or their fans. Yeah, listen, I'm a Wizards fan, so I know all about bad supermax contracts. That might be the worst one in the league, just because of positional value. And well, hold I- on, I mean John Wall and Blake. <laughs> Gobert has two knees, man. Like, <laughs> huh. okay, one of the worst. <laughs> I, it's yeah. I, like if if oh man, I I would not want to be in that position having to sign him to a supermax. No, I wouldn't either. I wouldn't want I mean, like I might the supermax just has for been mostly return. bad for everyone. Yeah, it's been like in terms of like it was supposed to let superstars be kept in their locations. It hasn't really done that, and the teams that have had their guys signed and mostly have seen it kind of just hit back on them. The name um, Beal popped up on my timeline today, last night, and someone was pitching like a Beal and a first for Joel Embiid. Okay. Oh, I saw this. And it was like a little out of left field. I honestly and you and you, God, and you and you stirred up everything saying, "Are we yeah. sure Beal isn't better than Embiid at this point?" I honest to God would rather have Bradley Beal than Joel Embiid. Okay? Really? I know I'm crazy. I know people are like. There's just analytics people right now who are just like crumpling their papers and like they're, they're pulling up stats.mba.com so that they can tweet me the exact on off rating that Joel Embiid had without Ben Simmons on the floor. And if he just had floor spacing, I understand you play slower with Joel Embiid. I don't think you can win in today's NBA playing slow with a big traditional center. Joel Embiid is not a good shooter. Your team doesn't get better when he takes threes. His durability is still an issue, a constant worry. I'd rather have Bradley Beal. He can play point guard. He can play shooting guard. 
I want wings in today's NBA more than anybody else. I would rather have Bradley Beal. I really would. I'm sorry. I would rather have Bradley Beal. I see the case. I can see it. You know, if you can get Beal played really bad defense last year for Washington, but I think if he's on a good team, as he showed in the first few years of his career, and if he doesn't have to take the entire offensive load, he's an average defensive player, and... Man, that shooting is so good. It is so good, and his his creation has gotten a lot better. He's a for all indications show that he's a great locker room guy. Works really hard. I, I can see it, but also I think like, he, he's some, dependent on no one else for his production. I guess is the best point to say for him. Yeah, and I think he'd be way more efficient next to any other star. Like when when the Wizards are like Rui, Rui Davis Bertans, like who else, who else is going to score? Of course, um, I, I could even take this further. And this is worse, but like, oh no! I I have considered in my head as a Dallas fan, like, if the opportunity there was to grab Bradley Beal, and you thought you had a real chance at Giannis, but like, you could get Bradley Beal for sure, and you were like, seventy five percent sure even say you could you snag Giannis. I almost feel like Beal is a better fit long term, next to Luca and KP than Giannis. Well, the problem is I think if you're going for Beal, you have to give up something, right? And then I think the Wizards might start with asking for KP. And I, I don't think that would be enough. Like, I think you need to add a lot more with it, but I don't think you get Beal for... Well, but, like, everybody's just getting Beal on these trade offers for, like, salary and picks. So just, like, just in this hypothetical, I just think, like, Luka could use a clutch second score knockdown shooter... At the wing, probably more than he could use fast break Giannis. But conversely, they had the best offense in the league. I know their clutch offense was bad too, but I think that's, that's something that they. I mean, they need defense, right? And Giannis, for all of his flaws in the half court, still an elite defensive player. He could play guard anyone on the court, play center, do whatever you need, right? I mean, I think he's. I think I actually think he's a better fit just because I'm. I'm thinking in my head of. Luka Giannis pick and rolls right now, and I'm salivating. I mean, it would be disgusting. It, it would, would be disgusting. so like, good. If you oh. can guarantee, like, you're like, you, you can have Giannis or Beal, you take Giannis. Mm-hmm. But if you're like, hey, we have a good shot at Giannis, or we could make a trade for Beal, trade for Beal. Like, you know, don't roll the... Dallas has also got burned so many times in free agency, hoping to be that team that was going to sign whoever. And I mean, literally, like, yeah, Dwight Howard burned you at the peak of his powers, okay. Darren Williams burned you at, like, the peak of his powers, okay. But, like, they got burned by, like... Hassan Whiteside, they got burned by like Mike Conley, like Chris Kamen and, and, and OJ Mayo were like highlight signings for them over a six year period. So, you know, I, I'm not gonna lie, a lot of the times. signings you said? No, Sorry? a lot of the signings you said. A lot of the signings you said, I'm kind of thinking they dodged a bullet not signing those guys. Yeah, they, yeah, in retrospect, yes, but at the time when they're like, hey, Hassan, Mike Conley, like, Let's make a big three in Dallas. Like, let's do this thing. Nick Batum was in there <laughs> yeah. at one point. And they were, like, throwing all the money. Like, we'll pay you all the money we have. You three, let's do this. No. I'm like, oh. Chandler Parsons took their money, though. So, that was Chandler Parsons money. took all the money. All the money. Somebody tapped, like, somebody, I saw that on the timeline like a month ago, too. Like, someone calculated what he got paid per minute of um, court time over that contract. Mm-hmm. And it was, like... $77,000 per minute he played on that deal. I was just like, oh my God. Like, that guy, you know, I, I can't, can't even be mad. Like, what a life. What a life he gets to live. The ultimate. Um, there's a name we haven't really talked about, and it's not Tyler Hero, despite whoever. Did you see that poll? 
about Tyler nice. Hero or Zion. Saw, yes, I saw that. And uh, uh, NBA Twitter's like favorite slurp artist, just Tyler Hero's built different. I wouldn't trade him for anyone. Okay, um, no, Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday is the guy that I think like everyone wants Beal. You know, everyone's talking about Giannis, but Drew Holiday feels like I don't think Go Bears are getting moved. I feel like Drew Holiday is very much like the biggest domino that might get moved before next season. So if you're Brooklyn, would you move Karis for Drew? Because every I mean, time, I feel like that's time, like the logical place to start. Everyone, every time I talk about Karis, I hold him in like higher regard than when I look at his like actual numbers. I'm always like, oh man. Mm-hmm. Yep. Maybe Karras isn't as good as I think he is. But when I watch, I don't know what it is, man. Like, I get sucked in with him because I watch him play and I feel like this he's, he's a very good player. And the, and the way that the Nets played with the replacement team in the bubble and the way that him and Jared Allen you know, held things together w- was like pretty cool to me. And, I, and again, I think he has, like, I know he's older, but I, I think he's got like a legit like three-way scorer game coming in. He can play some D, he can facilitate. I just don't. And then I look at the numbers, and I'm like, he's not that good. Like, it, it's the DeMar DeRozan thing. Like, I was never in the DeRozan vortex, but I'm kind of in the Karis LeVert vortex. And I'm like, if you're giving me Drew for Karis straight up, yeah, I do it because I got KD and Kyrie. But if I'm adding X, Y, and Z, then I, I don't know, man. I don't, I don't think so. I don't want to add Jared Allen and a first to that kind of a deal. And the problem with Karis, too, is he's a lot older than you'd think. He seems like a young guy. He's, he's a year younger than Bradley Beal. This isn't exactly – he's not like 23. So I think he's like 26. So is Embiid, by the way. <laughs> and Embiid and Beal are like eight months apart, by the way. Just so you know, even though Beal's played like four more seasons, they're like eight months apart. Well, that's because I mean Embiid missed like two and a half years, didn't he? Yeah, but it's just... kind of weird. I mean, I, I think about this every now and then. Embiid for so long just didn't play because of injuries, and then I feel like I'm always holding my breath with him for like that first year, and then since then I haven't really worried too much about like. Career-ending injuries. He's with been his feet. banged he's been, up constantly. Every time he's, he's been, a bad, it's it's like Steph times a thousand. It's like how Warriors <laughs> fans were with Steph in the 2016 Finals. Like when he put 47 points down Portland's throat in the Western Conference Finals, and the Warriors fans were like, "Oh my God, Steph's the greatest ever!" And then the finals, like, "Nah, man, he's hurt. He's hurt. He's hurt." And now that that's Joel Embiid every year. Joel Embiid has 30 and 10. Oh, he's the best center in the NBA. The very next night, he's like broken. Uh, you don't know what it, what's up. He doesn't have a great game in the playoffs. It's like, no, he's hurt. Joel Embiid's banged up. Like, he's he's always, quote-unquote, banged up. He's, he's always banged up. No, I, I definitely agree with that. But I, I mean more just in the sense of, like, debilitating injuries that he's out for, like, another two years. Because, like, big men and foot injuries, it's an automatic red flag for me. And so I, I'm just, you know, I'm happy that that's not the case with him. There's, you know, a host of other problems, but at least that's not the problem. Do you think Maury's going to be able to fix things in Philly? I think like Doc. I, I think Doc Rivers honestly sucks. I don't. Like, <laughs> I I I don't know, man. I don't know what that that hiring was like. Very much a name hiring. It felt to me. I don't know. And now I feel like Maury's stuck with him. And again, I feel like Daryl Morey could make a way more interesting team with Ben Simmons trying to do Sean Marion things and the haul he would get with Embiid than he could make if like Ben's value right now probably isn't great either. Like, there are so many young upcoming guards who can shoot, and now he's, you know, off another injury, and he's shown no ability to grow, and he just got slandered all over the place while he wasn't in the playoffs with the Jimmy Butler text message story and the Brett Brown, like, 
wouldn't answer his, you know, call to shoot more story. And, like, I, I, I just don't know. Again, like, Philly fans are like, it could work. It could work. It can't work, man. Like, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are not going to play their best basketball together. And they might have missed the window where they could trade Ben Simmons for, like, legit value. And and now you kind of maybe have to go trade Embiid because you're not going to get the haul for Simmons you want. It's it's a weird situation there. I don't envy Maury at all. But I feel like, you know, you talked about Rivers. I don't think he'd take the job if he didn't think that Rivers was at least the right coach. Because it was weird that they hired Doc before Daryl. And I don't know. That, well, that, I, like, I, think, I think the thing there, too, though, is, like, Daryl knows that he's the president. Yeah. And Daryl knows that, like, if things don't go well to start the year, that that Philly fan base is ravenous. I mean, they're the worst fans in the world. I, you're gonna, you won't remember this, but like Sports Illustrated did a thing amongst athletes. It was like six years in a row. Sports Illustrated like pulled a hundred athletes, and they were like, "Who has the like the worst spirited fans in in American sports?" And the <laughs> Eagles won every single. They threw batteries year. at. They threw a bat. They threw batteries at Santa. Like Simmons is gonna come out. He's not gonna be able to shoot still. And Bede's gonna miss two weeks with like whatever. And then Tobias Harris and Al Horford are going to, you know, be there with their paychecks. And Philly fans are going to revolt. And then Darryl, all Daryl Warren has to do is, like, Doc wasn't my guy. And, like, maybe he thinks he can work with Doc. And maybe Doc has the respect of Maury. Maybe that's not the problem. But I, I think Daryl doesn't take the job unless he had, like, the support of Josh Harris and the rest of that Sixers ownership group to be, like, you know, let it play out. But if you got to make a call, you got to make a call. I'm sure that conversation was had. For sure. I think... They're they're such a weird team. Like from the from the I, like I I would love to go into an alternate universe and see what happens if Hinky's just given the keys and he never gets fired. What he does because I don't think he makes the move. He doesn't move up for Fultz, right? He they probably have Tatum right now if that's the case. How like the the dominoes are really interesting there. I don't know. When you, when you think about the fact that they have drafted Markel Fultz, Michael Carter Williams, Ben Simmons. They've had three chances at, at drafting a guard who could shoot a three, and they're over three <laughs> in, in the modern NBA. Man, I don't know. I don't like. And, and the, the pipe dream that NBA. someone is going to like the Sacramento Kings and the New York Knicks going to be like. Actually, you know, we really believe in Tobias Harris or Al Horford in that deal. It's it's dicey, man. Like, no, you're not getting an asset back for them. Like, yeah, maybe you could dump one of them, but you're not getting pieces back that make you better. And I don't know. The the best hope Philly has. And it really is. And I can't remember if I said this with Sam or Jabari. Is to find like when Toronto traded Rudy Gay to Sacramento, they created some cap flexibility and they got a couple role players who meshed with their team and they got better. That's sort of the best case scenario for Al or Tobias Harris. Where from a talent perspective, they lose big, but they free things up a little bit and they get two guys that play hard in the rotation. And I think if they could do that, that'd be great. And 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 I do have a lot of faith in Maury, but we'll see. Um, I do. Yeah, I have a lot of faith in Maury. Yeah, and I, and I like the quote he gave about, too, like people always said, like, or what, what was he talking about Harden, you know, would you shoot 100 threes? Or, like, he's like, if you had Harden, you shoot 100 threes. If you had Shaq, you post him up 100 times. So it's not like he wanted to do the things that he did in Houston. He just had Harden. He was trying to get the most out of Harden, which I think, you know, it's good he clarified that, but I think I think we knew that. Um, on an ending on this podcast, on a not-basketball note, uh, what have you been binging lately? So, I speed ran through all of Game of Thrones, 
season one through eight. I got HBO Max. I was like, all right, I'm doing this. Finished it up. <laughs> uh, I, I liked it a lot. I mean, obviously, it was it was great, right? Um, my girlfriend really liked the show, and she's watched it like while it was coming out. So I was live texting her during it, and when we got to season eight, she was like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> and it, like, you know, season eight, obvious issues, felt rushed, kind of didn't make sense here and there. And then, you know, it was not the best ending to the show, but the rest of the show, I mean, just incredible. And then watching The Mandalorian now, and then doing a little bit of a rewatch here and there of Succession, because that show is incredible. Yeah, um, like, Thrones, man, was, like, the best TV show ever for, like, five seasons. And people are going to, like, do this revisionist history bullshit with it now because they didn't like the finale. But it doesn't change the fact that on Sunday nights people were giving up uh, NBA playoff games to watch Thrones. And not just like anyone, like NBA hoop heads were giving up NBA playoff games to watch Thrones. Mm-hmm. They were live tweeting Thrones through second round games. Like, th- <laughs> th- Thrones was, was like just such a hit. Like, everybody watched it. Like, your colleague watched it. Your significant other watched it. My grandmother had Thrones night in seasons four and five and six. <laughs> oh my God. Like, my grandmother was like, down with the nudity, down with the violence. Like she was hosting aunts and uncles and cousins at her house to watch Thrones on Sunday nights. And her bedtime was before it even started. Like Thrones was such a cultural hit, like across the board. And I just, I hate that that's got lost because people didn't like the last season. And I don't think the last season was executed in like overly well. Wouldn't argue that it was, but like the writing made sense. Like Daenerys going yeah. bad was 100%. written. It, it was like. How, people were like, how did that happen? They just rushed that. I'm like, man, every chance she had to roast people, she roasted people. Yep. Every, t- <laughs> every time someone she trusted was like, hey, maybe like go easy. Hey, let's give them a pass. She was like, no, roast them. You know, like Dracarys, whatever she said. Like mm-hmm. there were so many signs. And if you've read the books, like they talk all the time. They hint all the time that like Targaryens have this madness in them. Like it, it was well teased that like she was not just... He, you know, Martin even said, I think, when they were doing season three, like, this isn't going to be Lord of the Rings. It's not going to be a happy ending where they just inherit the kingdom. Like, people who didn't know just weren't fans. I cannot believe... I, the articles about, like, people named their kid Daenerys, and then they were, like, upset. You guys are just stupid and don't understand. So dumb. Man. Oh, my God. Wow. Oh, I cannot believe... Oh my, If you're that kid, how bad must you feel right now? <laughs> it's not great. It's not great. Like, uh, I do agree that it was a bit rushed in terms of, I think you could have fleshed out a little bit, like, because I feel like she went, like, she went from being slightly tyrant tendencies to being just, like, full-on, I'm burning everyone and anything when she, like, burned down all of uh, King's Landing. I feel like that might have been a bit rushed, but I don't think it was, like, I definitely saw it coming, like, two seasons ago. I remember I was texting my girlfriend, I was like, I'm not really liking Daenerys right now. I was more mad that Jamie went back to Cersei. Yes. Than I was met. Like, Jamie has this incredible, like, incredible character growth over the eight seasons. And and in the books, too. And, like, you, you feel him, like, coming to terms with him as a man and, like, you know, realizing how fucked up his childhood was. And then he goes back to her and they die under, like, the crashing rocks of the kingdom. It sucked, man. That sucked. It, I mean, I guess it, it's real, but it was so unfulfilling. Um, my two biggest complaints of the season, though, honestly, the last season... The scene, um, the longest night, where like there's this crazy battle. There's people dying everywhere. There's like horses impaled. There's mm-hmm. like giants thumping the wall. All this stuff's going on, and then we're just in this library, and it's like completely silent. 
That bothered me so much. I'm like, they tried to give you like a horror feel when oh, they're in the library was running around. hiding and the walkers are in there or whatever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, man. How, like, how, there'd be like, <laughs> it, how, how is the sound off? And then the other one was like um, Drogon. And I guess it's been a bit since I've seen the last season now. Drogon in the final battle at King's Landing. There's like a thousand ballistas firing a thousand ballista bolts at him, like, like no, automatic weapons, dodging them all. No problem. They come around the corner of that rock first ballista bolt just right through the other dragon like just some of those little itty bitty details for me like this is so stupid that's so dumb this doesn't make any sense and like the episode where he is burning everything down it just got a little bit repetitive it was like all right how many things are we gonna see people running away from right when the rest of the season rest of the seasons were palace intrigue great cutting dialogue this one was just like oh fire running eh. yeah and the thing about uh, Jamie and Cersei dying with the rocks, you're, like what you talked about, it's realistic, yes. But like the way I talked about it is, spoiler coming for anyone who hasn't finished The Wire yet, so don't listen to this then. But Omar getting shot by Kennard, right? That's like a total subversion of expectations. You think he's going to have that huge battle at the end with o- Marlowe. You, you don't get that at all because it's ultra-realistic, that show. This is, Game of Thrones is a show about dragons. There's magic, right? You don't need to be ultra realistic in this show. Let 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 them go toe to toe with Daenerys and see what happens. And, and like, but like that was like in the wire was so poetic, right? Yes, like exactly. So... That, like that's what I'm saying. Like the wire was meant to be an ultra realistic show that shows that no one is supposed to be greater than anything else, right? And the we... and the whole thing that made Omar great was like he understood like the, he understood like the game's the game mm-hmm. and anybody can get got if they get sloppy. And he didn't expect it. He got got. And that's that that's what it is. But like Jamie, like. If he was going to go back to Cersei, like, the whole thing, like, why would you have a night with Brienne? Yeah. Like, what was the, like, changing motivations within 24 hours that you're sleeping with Brienne and then you're immediately running back to Cersei? Like, it was just a little whack. But, again, man, like, I, I digress. Like, the last season wasn't what anyone hoped it would be. No doubt. But there are so many moments in that show that are just amazing. And, like... The dialogue is obviously number one. Like, the interactions between the characters are amazing. Like, the five or six scenes between the Viper and Tyrion are just perfection. You know, every time Littlefinger and Varys talk, perfection. Um, And, and like, the battles and the deaths. Like, man, when I read The Red Wedding, like, when Rob Stark went down, I was crying like a baby, man. Yes. Like... And and I I am so lucky that I read that before I saw that in the TV show because I was devastated a month after reading it. If I had just walked into that as a television fan without knowing, I would have just been shattered, man, out of depression, no doubt. I just I I, I had to stop the show for like a like like a, a week or so. I was just like I I can't do this. I can't do this. I need to. It was so wonderfully unpredictable too. Like yep. I, I mean, he really set it up. Like okay, you fall in love with Eddard Stark and he's moral beyond everything else. And he's the hero of our show, and he's going to fix things in this kingdom. Nope, season one ends with his head getting lopped off. And then you're like, oh, man. And we're just, like, we're so used to the, the typical rhythm of a show that, like, his son shows up. And he's his oldest son. And he's, like, charismatic. And he's very strategic. He's a good general. He's winning these battles. The young wolf. Like, we're all, like, on team young wolf. I'm like, okay, so the son's going to avenge the father. Nope. He's going to get God, too. Like... There's just so many turns in that show, like the Viper too. Like the Viper gets uh, the Viper. when he gets his face mashed in, in in the show. That is one of the grossest, like hardest to watch TV moments I've ever seen in my life because of like everything that was built up in it and literally just like the physically watching it. But man, there were so many moment turns in that show that were just phenomenal. Yep, one hundred percent agree on everything. Um, 
I haven't been watching as much, but like we're 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 redoing Parks and Rec, ah. and the I'm doing the same thing with Parks and Rec that I did with The Office. Like the first time I watched The Office, I was like, Jim's my favorite character. I love Jim. I love Jim and Pam. They're so cool. Um, I want to have a relationship like that. And the second time I watch The Office, I'm like, damn man, I'm not Jim at all. Like I'm Dwight. Like a, I love my job. I go to my job every day. I'm nowhere near as cool as Jim. Wait, Jim's not actually that cool. He works at a job that he hates forever and <laughs> pursues a lady who is already engaged. Like, actually, Jim's not that great. Dwight is the hero of the office. And the same thing with, like, Parks and Rec. The first time I watched it, I was like, I'm all Ron Swanson. I'm Andy. And now I'm like, man, Leslie Nope is, is the hero of this story, man. Yep. Like, she makes every day great. She just lays it all out there. It's interesting as you kind of, like, grow and you rewatch some of the shows, like, how much your opinion changes on them. Yeah, for sure. I think... Leslie Nope is a very cool character, and looking back at the Ron Swanson character is very different now, I'd say, just because, Rep- because <laughs> everything that's happened politically just makes you, like, people are like, oh, we wouldn't have voted for Trump. I'm like, eh, we'll see. Yeah, I... I <laughs> that show's it, also it, gotten weird for me because of Aziz Ansari and everything that went on with him. His character is so... Cr- like, his character was always cringy to me, but, like, him and um, Louis C.K. in that first season, the second season... It's just very cringe. Yeah, like there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of cringe moments in there. No well, doubt. I skipped the first season, so I don't know. People told me to just start the second season. So, um, yeah, I think that's gonna just about wrap us up, though. So, like, I think Jabari will hopefully be back next week. Uh, wait and see on that. If you haven't yet, please like, rate, subscribe, review the podcast, um, and we will catch you next time.